Welcome to the Outrageous and Vulnerable Podcast, where shift happens. This is a podcast about shaking things up in parenting, education, disability, and beyond. I'm your host, Cynthia Coupe, parent, longtime disability advocate, and speech language pathologist. I can't wait to meet you on the front lines, of course. So it's April, which is Autism Awareness Month. Actually, I would really rather call it Autism Acceptance Month, but that's an entirely another topic. For now, let me focus on the fact that it's Autism Awareness Month, and I just became aware that my nearly 11-year-old daughter has autism. I really don't know where to start with this or even how to organize it. It feels like there's a giant pot of spaghetti in my brain with each thread being linked to the other and not knowing quite how or where to stick my fork in and get going on the meal. But I digress. My daughter has autism and I didn't see it. I didn't see it. And I'm a speech language pathologist with over 20 years of experience as a speech language pathologist with 25 plus years of experience working with children with autism and being interested in this population when I was seven years old. And yet I didn't see it. So I've given this a lot of thought. What does that mean? Does it mean that I'm a crappy clinician or a checked out parent? No, to both of those. Actually, autism in girls can be very difficult to diagnose, particularly when it's in the realm of high functioning autism. If you've listened to any of my other podcasts, I actually have one uh, that I put up in January about this when I first thought that my daughter might have autism. The recording is very hard to listen to. It was not, uh, didn't have good sound, but at any rate, that's when I, I first put a podcast up about this. So I've known for years that something was amiss with my daughter. She's always been incredibly unique. We got her on an IEP for reading support when she was in the second grade. Um, And that was a huge push, more on that in another topic altogether. But with my insider info, because I'm an SLP, speech language pathologist that works in the schools, I knew what to do to push for an IEP. I knew the process. And I knew that if we were denied um, the IEP, I, I could still push for it. So anyhow, I was able to get it done. So she's been on IEP support since second grade. I've always known that she was a unique learner, you know, back from being a toddler in music class. But in third grade, we began to suspect that she might have ADHD, but we didn't complete the evaluation because the evaluation team wanted her to be fully medicated for ADHD before completing the evaluation so that they could um, get a clear picture of where her Uh, intelligence scale would be without distraction getting in the way. So while I appreciate the theory, we just medicating her wasn't something that we felt like doing. Um, Her ADHD didn't seem that bad. I know this is a controversial topic, but I'm just saying that we didn't go through the process, even though it definitely looked like she had ADHD. So now she's in fifth grade and the pandemic hit. I started homeschooling her or um, independent study because distance learning was just terrible. So in January, 
I, I pulled her out of school, worked out a, a learning program with her teacher, and I got to see what it was really like for her learning. But I still had no idea. So fast forward just a couple of weeks after that, I think, to January, um, when a dear friend of mine passed along an article following her own daughter's autism diagnosis. And I thought, no way. This kid does not seem autistic. But, you know, what do I know? So I read the article and immediately I knew that that was my kid too. So me being me, I quickly went into the let's get this done overdrive and I found a clinician who was trained to evaluate for autism and who had the knowledge necessary on how to evaluate girls with autism because it looks a lot different than it does in boys and it's often missed. I'll put a link to an article that I wrote on my blog at the end of this podcast, but uh, it's it's incredibly underdiagnosed, this, this demographic of women and girls with high-functioning autism. So what follows is my story. And I've written this down. I'm, I'm looking at a lot of the notes because, like I said earlier, the spaghetti in my brain, it would just come out as one big pile of mush, and I really want to make sense of this. So I'll try to be linear so that your brain can follow my brain and I will be as anecdotal as I can. Kind of difficult to find where to begin, but looking backwards, I can definitely see it more clearly. In fact, looking backwards, it seems almost painfully clear and I'm kind of surprised I didn't see it to begin with. But then again, I don't really know when I would have first noticed it, even with the knowledge that I have now. So definitely I wouldn't have noticed it as a baby or a toddler, like autism is noticed with many boys. Um, you know, many, many boys with autism and some girls too are late talkers. Um, they play repetitively with the same kind of toy. They might have extreme food aversions or extreme clothing aversions. Um, but that wasn't my daughter. I mean, she was definitely difficult to soothe, yes. We'll get into that later, but, but she was a very early talker. Uh, she talked at, you know, she had words, uh, at seven months old and, you know, she was a pretty good eater. Maybe in kindergarten, I would have noticed it actually when I took her, uh, from a Montessori classroom into a more traditional kindergarten and she really couldn't follow the directions and her teacher was always frustrated with her, but I was also getting a divorce then, so, you know, that could have been it. So maybe in first grade when we pulled her out of school, because at that time we found out that she'd just been singing in the bathrooms all day long and her teacher was reducing her work and she was getting teased by other students. But, you know, again, I always knew she was going to be a different learner. I just didn't know what that meant or why that was. So... I took her out of school and homeschooled her and figured, you know, time would tell. Maybe she's just a little immature for her age in some ways. So she was actually also diagnosed with ADHD recently in the same evaluation. Along with that, also a tick disorder and learning disabilities that are associated with ASD and ADHD. God, there's so much to say. Each part of what I'm talking about opens up a whole new world that could be discussed. So... I'll do my best to stay the course. Third grade, fourth grade, she started losing friends. Kids weren't inviting her to their birthday parties any longer. And 
I didn't really know why. I mean, my daughter is so ridiculously friendly. But when would I have first noticed it? I don't know. Thank goodness for the article that my friend passed along. You know, now that I look back on it, I can think that for years, my daughter has been seen and described as being willful or rude, unique, quirky, imaginative, sensitive, critical, bossy, generous, anxious, emotionally mature, and more. Some of them good, some of them bad. What I see now is how her autism presents itself through these various descriptors. I still don't agree with the negative connotations that some of them have, but I see how perhaps her willfulness was not really being willful, but having difficulty with being able to change from one topic to another. Or being bossy was actually her telling other kids how to play because in her autistic brain, that's what made sense. She had to follow a certain pattern of play. Or maybe she was being rude by not saying hi to people that walked in the room because she was paying attention to something that was absorbing her and she didn't notice that they'd walked into the room. So along with her being described in these ways, my parenting has also been described as being permissive or loose or overly sensitive to my daughter, not having enough boundaries, not strict enough and more. I see now how my parenting has been described in light of her behaviors, her behaviors, which apparently somehow I should have had the ability to correct, to call, to curb, or to nullify. And yet in the arena of parenting, I can tell you what I saw. I saw a girl who needed support and freedom. A daughter that wanted to make her own choices, that had a hard time when things were unexpected, that was sensitive to other people's moods or, or textures or to noise. I saw a lovely creature that could be absorbed in her own beautiful interests and not notice someone who walked into the room. Who cares? She wasn't being rude. Honestly, almost none of the things that she was often described as. I'd say courageous, brave, intelligent, sensitive, strong-minded, unique. Yes, yes, to all of those. And I know that I had some of the descriptors too. I know I would get very frustrated when it seemed like she was being strong-headed or strong-willed. And now I see that that was, again, inflexibility with autism. And I see now that how her absorption into something that didn't allow her to notice a person is one of the ways her autism shows up. She's social, but she doesn't often pick up on social cues. That's led to a difficult time making and keeping friends. I see a child who is extremely sensitive to new environments and might become selectively mute or not follow another social norm that was expected of her. That can lead to her being labeled as quirky or precocious. She can't stand tags on her clothing. She doesn't like to have her hair touched. She cries when she's overstimulated and there's a lot more. And yet none of this seemed like autism to me even though I've spent over 20 years working with people who are autistic. So I think there's two reasons for that. One, I was privy to the classical profile of autism, which is normed largely on the male presentation of autism. I was familiar with a wide range of traits from what we considered high to low functioning. I was familiar with restrictive and repetitive behaviors, special interests that go beyond what a typically developing person might find interesting. I was familiar with a monotone voice, poor eye contact, I knew about behaviors, anxiety, and missed social cues. But like so much of the general population, I wasn't aware of what it looked like in a high-functioning girl with autism.
Also, I would say being a speech language pathologist and so familiar with what abnormal development is like, I thought my child, my only child, right? I don't have another person to compare her to was brilliant and amazing in many ways. And that the areas that she was behind in were just, you know, a unique profile of a human condition. I think many of the supports I gave to her probably helped along the way. Like knowing from a very early age that she had to hear what was happening next in order to be comfortable. In fact, I remember telling her at under a year of age, I think six months, seven months, I would tell her what we were going to do that day. And she was always so fine to go along with whatever we were going to do. And then I'd start to say, well, I wonder what would happen if I didn't tell her what we were going to do. And so I wouldn't tell her. And she would cry and get so upset. And I thought, no way does a seven-month-old know what I'm saying to her. But actually, I think she did. And that's been a thread that has continued on for ever. She still wants to know every night before bed what she's going to do tomorrow. And of course, I know how to, you know, set children up to increase their vocabulary. Although I think that's just an area of specialty for her. But but I think a lot of the supports that I do naturally because of what my profession is have served her well and have maybe even hidden a lot of the difficulties that other families might have found. So like I was saying, of all of the behaviors that I did know about, what I didn't know is that girls often show very little to none of those behaviors. So how can it still be autism? Well, girls often mask their symptoms. For social norms, they can be seen as typically developing because the way that an autistic girl's brain develops is actually very much the same as the way a typically functioning boy's brain develops. So an eight-year-old girl with ASD, her brain scan is going to look basically the same as an eight-year-old boy's brain. So, you know, just variations in normal, right? The restricted interests often happen to be more socially acceptable, like maybe they are very highly into fashion or dolls or animals. Just like typically developing girls are generally different from typically developing boys, the same is true in autism, particularly when we're thinking of the high-functioning category of ASD, which is now called ASD level one, previously referred to as Asperger's. I must say, too, that this was something that felt like it was going to be very frustrating, is that I initially, after the interview with the psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever, that evaluated my daughter... She said she didn't think she had autism, but that she probably had social communication disorder, which, side note, is something a speech-language pathologist can diagnose, and no way in heck did she have social communication disorder. She didn't fit any of the hallmark symptoms, right? Like, she wasn't late to talk. She was able to follow stories. She was able to retell information, ask questions, answer questions, like... It really didn't follow any of it. And I I asked the evaluator why. And she said, well, she doesn't demonstrate enough restrictive and repetitive behaviors to fall under the category of autism. Well, that got my hackles up because that's exactly what I've read about online is that girls with autism often don't display enough restrictive and repetitive behaviors or RRBs to be identified because it's typically normed on boys who apparently show more of that than girls do, or girls hide it, or they're not present for so long. So I went home terrified that I was going to walk out of this evaluation without the proper diagnosis. 
And I talked to my husband and I talked to my daughter's dad. And of course, there were many things that I had forgotten about or misjudged or hadn't labeled as a repetitive or restrictive behavior. Even though I'm familiar with those, I don't know if I wasn't being asked the question in the right way or, you know, I'm also reaching into the crevices of my mind thinking about what she was like when she was three. So together, we just listed out all the things that she does and all the things that she has done. And indeed, in there, there was enough qualifiers for repetitive and restrictive behavior that fell under the category of autism. (sighs) So each person with autism has their own unique profile. I think typically we have been told it's a linear spectrum, like a line from on the left-hand side, a little autistic, to on the right-hand side, totally autistic. But that's not how it is. It's more of a color wheel type of spectrum. So the simple areas on the wheel could be language, motor skills, perception, executive function, sensory, or to make them more refined, we could divide them even further into fixations, speech, sensitivity, social skills, anxiety, posture, eye contact, tics or fidgets, aggression, depression. And I think in this description, it's really important to understand that a person is not actually more or less autistic. An autistic person is an autistic person. I'm not more or less American if I was born in California or Alaska. And an autistic individual is not more autistic or less autistic if they don't display the same traits as another autistic individual. It's just a spectrum of how it shows up. So back to my daughter. Because I had limited understanding and because of the way that her autism presents, it wasn't obvious. She makes eye contact. She's social. She loves playing with age-appropriate games and toys. All of the things that I thought meant she couldn't be autistic. She had some behaviors that seemed weird, but, you know, maybe she'd grow out of them. Like, she always had this little hop thing and she'd shake her head. It seemed like a tick, but... I'd read about it online and one of her therapists told me she would probably grow out of it. I always figured she had anxiety because she started biting her nails very young. She definitely doesn't like crowds or loud places and she hates tags in her clothing, but I'm like that too. She wants to know every night what is happening the next day. A change in routine can throw her for a little fit, but it's not that big of a deal. She's super discerning and often points out exactly wasn't 100% perfect with a situation, a meal, or an experience, even if she's happy with it. She makes up her own words, patique being one of my very favorites, which means like super uber wonderful or just beyond perfect. And at school, there were a lot more struggles. She's been on reduced workload because she can't focus or doesn't finish her work fast enough. She's a perfectionist. She hates it when she gets anything wrong immediately. This used to result in her tearing her paper apart, and now she doesn't tear her paper apart anymore, but she does get really frustrated with it. So if she doesn't know what is happening in class, then she's late to write, she has difficulty reading, maybe she's losing her friends, and that's the one that finally prompted me to put all of these together, losing her friends. My sweet, well-friended, and friendly little girl was suddenly not being invited to birthday parties by the very people that she had had as best friends for years. It was a mystery. 
But kids can be really unkind. And she's at that age, fifth grade, where things just kind of start to change, right? But still, something didn't quite add up. Again, thank goodness for the article that my friend sent me, which I will also link to the end of this podcast. So now that we have the diagnosis, I can think back to several incongruities from the time she was born. Really difficult to soothe, didn't like new situations, wouldn't take a bottle or a pacifier, only my breast, and would feed to soothe, but then she'd throw up because she wasn't hungry. She had a terrible time getting to sleep. We literally had to hold her and bounce her on a yoga ball until she fell asleep, which could take an hour or a rocking chair, but the ball was better. She still has a hard time falling asleep, but thank goodness for a good nighttime routine and melatonin. As a young child, she liked to play on exactly the same structures when she entered the park. First the blue springy seahorse, then each swing in a certain order, and then she'd go and do whatever she wanted. She's always had excellent visual awareness. I remember playing a game with her that she wasn't aware of where I would put something new in the house, like on a shelf, and I'd kind of wait to see how long it took her to see it. But moments, only moments. She was amazing. Highly visually perceptive and also very perceptive to emotion. At two years of age, I remember thinking she was a genius because I could ask her to show me the facial posture for a list of different emotions from the typical ones like sad, happy, or angry to the more nuanced ones like jealous, shy, frustrated, and she nailed it at two years old. But still, these didn't seem autistic per se, just my unique child. She talked from a very young age. Her first word was at seven months and her sentences were before a year old. She was fully potty trained out of diapers before two, not because I was a genius, but she was clearly ready. She never wanted to really grow up. She didn't want to turn 10 because 10 was a big kid and a big kid was nearly a teen and a teen was almost an adult and that was just way too much for her. But now that she's well into her 10th year, she's excited to turn 11. But please, let's not get started on puberty talk. (laughs) Ick, she hates that. When we get distressing news about a friend or a family member, she often tends to smile or laugh, even if the news is sad. And if this is upsetting news, she'll act very odd, kind of like hyper or overly talkative. Just something is not quite right, but you don't know what. Now that she's a little older, there are more things showing up that do seem to be in line with autism. She only wears one pair of shoes. She still plays with Barbie dolls and is starting to be embarrassed by it since she thinks that other kids her age don't do that. She will ask inappropriate questions, nothing too rude or weird, but she'll ask strangers how old they are or, you know, want to know certain things. She does tend to talk about the same topic over and over again, like birthdays. (laughs) I've noticed lately that she's a little exhausting to have a conversation with, and I finally pinned down why. It's because she often asks what which I used to relate to her frequent inner ear infections. I thought maybe she was just beginning to have an inner ear infection again. But as I've begun to look more closely, I see that it's not that. It's when she doesn't understand the context of a word, she doesn't understand the entire sentence. Or she might lump two words together and hear them as something else and then really not know at all what it is. So almost every conversation is punctuated with what. And she listens constantly to my conversations which I think is pretty normal, except her hearing is excellent. And then she'll insert the word what into conversations she's not even a part of. Lately, her anxiety has been showing up a lot for her. 
And honestly, this has been the biggest blessing since homeschooling her, since I can see and understand her anxiety from a much closer perspective. And because she's highly verbal, she can explain it to me. I used to get anxious in school and I couldn't finish my work, so they'd move me to the back of the room where I was supervised, but I still couldn't finish. So I'd draw and distract myself until recess came. Okay, well, that was new information to me. I didn't know that that happened. I knew that her work wasn't getting done, but I didn't understand why. So in our homeschooling environment, what I see is a wave of anxiety when a task seems too big or too much, which then results in a meltdown because she can't see how to even start or, or starting just seems so futile. So now that we're back in school very part-time, I see her anxiety present more often. It seems more consuming. In fact, just yesterday she said to me, I'm anxious all the time. I hate it. I hate being anxious. It gets in the way of me having fun. It gets in the way of me doing work. I hate this about autism. I hate having anxiety. Having anxiety makes me anxious. So I just reassure her that we're doing the best we can to find things that calm her. I call it radical self-care. For animals are soothing. So is singing and dancing. Maybe we can shift the mood by telling a joke or definitely spending time in nature. But what about when she's back in school full time? I don't know. This is what we get to figure out. <laughs> if we do nothing academic, but we figure out how we can help with her anxiety, I will be so grateful. So as you can see, the profile for autism is as unique as the individual. My daughter is highly verbal with no flat sounding speech. She has fixations that are nearly normal. Birthdays, she loves those. She's sensitive to noise and to touch. She's highly social, highly anxious. Her posture is mostly good. She makes eye contact most of the time. She mm. has a moderate amount of ticks and fidgets. She displays no aggression unless she's frustrated and she'll throw a tantrum. She has some mild depression when talking about her lack of friends. But that's how she looks. There's so much more to say. This is really, really only the beginning. And of course, as I go down this road with my daughter, I wonder about myself. I'm pretty sure my mom could qualify as being on the spectrum, but I've never considered it of myself. I've taken a few online autism tests and I've come out on the borderline or possible Aspie range, but honestly, I really have no idea. I do know that I can completely relate to a lot of what my daughter is going through because my experiences growing up were incredibly similar. I always felt like an outsider looking in. I had no friends and was even referred to the school psychologist in third or fourth grade because of this. I was always super creative and came up with solutions that other people didn't see. I'd fixate on an interest and tune out the world while I was in the world of my special interests, and I still do this. But one thing I can say from bridging both sides is I get it. I remember losing friends on the playground because I'd laugh if they got hurt. I didn't think it was funny, but I, I just couldn't help it. I've always called it a defense mechanism. It still happens, and now I just warn people about it. I remember that feeling of extra energy in the body when something upsetting or unknown happened and not knowing what to do with it. I see the same feeling in my daughter, and I'm helping her learn about that. I've never felt that she was rude when she didn't look at me if I walked into the room. I totally understand that she was doing her own thing. It's not personal. And I know how it feels to have anxiety, to be caught in this wave of tenseness and heat that feels like your blood is going to boil over. 
And as a mom, I am so sorry she has to deal with these things too. I know as an adult, much of this gets better. We find our tribe. We learn that our quirks are actually our superpowers, but it can still take a lifetime to undo what we thought about of ourselves as children. So my hope is that we can shift not just from autism awareness, but to autism acceptance. And as we move forward with all of the knowledge we have, let's learn about acceptance. Let's learn how we're all in this together. And an autistic person is no less or different than a non-autistic person. Or they are different, but that doesn't make them less. In fact, they have a bunch of superpowers. I would have to say that in my experience, people with autism are deeply empathetic. They feel others' emotions more than you might think. And their ability to understand language can far exceed their ability to produce it. So why don't you come and join me and become an ally? Let's build a world of acceptance. Let's talk to our children or our spouses or our coworkers or ask questions about autism so that we can get a better understanding of what it is and what it isn't. Let's begin to see it from more than just a linear view and dive into the richness that autism really is. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Outrageous and Vulnerable podcast with your host, Cynthia Coupe. Don't forget to comment, rate, subscribe, and share this with people you love, people you like, even people you don't like so much. And remember, do something outrageous and vulnerable, of course.